Well, it's good to be with you here with you this morning, and um, we thank you that you've invited us to be here. Um, an out-of-work pastor doesn't get many opportunities to open up the Word, so it's, uh, it's just a joy to be here with you today. You know, I've got a story to tell you a little bit. Um, two things before I start. Uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Luke 15, if you will, while I'm telling these. Number one, it, it has been a long time, Gordy, almost 15 years since we first met. Where is Gordy sitting? Right There you are. There you are. And um, Judy and I had come to Grace Church at DuPage to interview for a college pastor position. And um, I'll tell you, the guy that I was replacing was 180 degrees different in giftedness and everything than me. And I went through the interview process with him and I thought, no, this will never work. And, and I remember Gordy. Gordy was very silent during the elder interviews. I mean, just very silent. And he told me one thing before I left. He just said, whatever God wills will happen. You know, if you know Gordy, that's the way he speaks. And I thought that was Gordy's way of saying, this ain't going to happen <laughs> at all. And I told Judy when we went home, I said, you know, uh, if, there's one, if we ever go there, if there's one person I feel I'd have to win over, it's Gordy Bell. <laughs> Little did I know that Gordy is the most encouraging man that I've ever met. I think that's his gift, his encouragement and prayer. Gordy and Ruthie, both of you, have been for years and, and became just such a good friend Right from the moment I stepped in the door, was one of the most encouraging guys. You, you are very, very fortunate. God has graced you to have an elder here named Gordy Bell and um, ministering among you. The other thing Gordy has is just a heart of prayer. If anything that rubbed off on me, just the importance of prayer in our daily life. It's, it's, it's always been there. I always think of Gordy every time I think of the importance of prayer. And, and he brings a great element, I'm sure, to your church and the emphasis on praying. Um, you know, it always hits me whenever I come to a, a, a body where there's new faces, we're unfamiliar faces, it always just hits me how vast and how wonderful the body of Christ is. I am sure that when Steve comes home from Nepal, some of the stories he's going to have for you have to do with the fellowship of the saints and believers being together. And it just is always a great thing for me to come and to see new faces and to open up God's Word. And just to, because of our common love for Christ, we're here today. Amen? Just because of our common love for Christ. And, and that's why we're here. That's why we've gathered. And it's just a joy to be with you today. Um, Luke 15. I'm going to read this whole chapter Sometimes we just uh, look at this chapter in bits and pieces, uh, especially because there's uh, three parables here, and we usually look at the, the last parable or the first two together, but uh, one of the things I want to show you today is they ought to be studied together, and so we're going to look at the whole chapter. Let me read it. Luke 15, chapter 1 says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Doesn't that sound like Pharisees and scribes, if you've read through the Gospel? Grumble, grumble, grumble. Grumble, grumble, grumble. You know, This man is around sinners and he eats with them. He's, he's sitting down with them. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after one which is lost until he finds it? 
When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls his friends together and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous person who needs no repentance. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost." In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said to them, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he sent him into these fields to feed swine. Excuse me, and in that country he became impoverished. So he sent and he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Major difference if you just skip a line in scripture, right? <laughs> Isn't there? And he would have gladly filled his stomach with pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up, go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began to inquire what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, and was lost and has been found. Let's pray. Father, today as we open up your word, 
I just pray that you would teach us what it means to seek the lost so that they might be found. Father, let us know and catch a glimpse of the joy that it brings you to save lost sinners, that it might become our joy, that it might become our pursuit, that it might become uh, where we really want to live in this pursuit of lost sinners. And so, Lord, just open our eyes to the wonderful truths of these three stories that Jesus told the grumbling Pharisees. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. The parables that are in this chapter in Luke 15 are probably familiar to many of you, especially this last one about the prodigal son. Many of us have studied and restudied and studied and studied some more this last parable. In fact, scores of parents have turned to this uh, parable for help and have found comfort here when they've been dealing with a wayward child. Perhaps some of you have done that with your children and have found a comfort here, and that's good. That's very good. Similarly, many, many church leaders have found the parable of the lost sheep uh, very helpful when trying to define what the job of shepherding looks like as far as being an elder or a pastor or a shepherd in the church. But as helpful as these stories may be for those kinds of issues, that is not why Jesus told them. As we will see today, Jesus told these three parables because he wanted the Pharisees and the, the scribes that are here in verse 1, the Jewish leaders, to consider the joy all heaven shares when just one lost sinner is found. You know, I cannot think of any other, any higher joy, I should say, any higher joy to set your hopes on this morning than heaven's joy. You may be looking for, for happiness or joy any place the world offers as a smorgasbord of ideas of where we might find it, but I can't think of any higher joy for us to consider that we need to have than heaven's joy. Do you get that? Do you agree with that? That that, could be, that should be the highest joy that we have in our lives. And my simple aim this morning in examining these three parables is that we might consider how we can take part in heaven's joy today here on earth because that's what these are about. Not waiting until we get there, but enjoying what God wants us to find joy in today and until the, the day we're taken home. You see, heaven's joy can be experienced here on earth simply by seeking and finding the lost, just as Jesus did. And so let's look at these parables and consider Jesus' invitation to take part in heaven's joy. And I want to set the paragraph or set these parables within the paragraph that we find them in the Gospel of Luke. The first key to understanding these three parables is found by looking at the bookends of the chapter. That means the beginning and the end. So look at verse one. As the chapter opens, we find that all the riffraff of Judea is coming around Jesus to listen to him and to hear what he's saying. And notice in verse one. The Jewish, excuse me, verse 2, the Jewish leaders began grumbling because Jesus was receiving them and eating with them. See what it says? It says, both the Pharisees and scribes began to grumble, saying, he, this man receives sinners. He eats with them. Oh, you don't do that being a religious leader in Jerusalem. 
By the way, all those sinners in verse 1 are just responding to what Jesus has just said in verse 35 of chapter 14. Look at the end of that chapter. It says, Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So who's coming to hear? All the sinners. All the tax gatherers. All the riffraff. But not the Jewish leaders. They're not coming to listen. They're coming to grumble. Look at the way the chapter ends. The close of the story. It closes with a young man grumbling because his wayward brother has suddenly returned home and his joyful father has welcomed him back without any reservation. In fact, even more than that, the father has thrown a party to celebrate the return of the lost son. But he wasn't willing. Look at it says, verse 25, His older brother was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard the music, and he summoned one of the servants and said, What is going on here? In verse 27, he said to him, Your brother has come home. Your father's killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. I'm not going to that party. No way. No way. Do you hear the similarity between the Pharisees and scribes at the beginning of the chapter and the grumbling brother at the end? Do you hear that? Do you hear it? Whatever else might be said about these parables, whatever else we might study and find helpful in these parables, that's what the point is. That's what the point is. That is why Jesus told these parables to correct and challenge the grumbling Jewish leaders. The second key to these parables is the repeated theme in the story. Did you hear it as we read through it? There's a repeated theme. All three parables are about something that has been lost. Then it is found, but not just lost and found. It's about the shared joy, this great celebration that comes about when the person finds whatever it was that was lost. Something's lost, then it is found, and then there's great rejoicing. And so when the lost sheep has been found, look at verse 5, we read that the shepherd lays it on his shoulders, and then it says, look at the word right there, rejoicing, (laughs) rejoicing. And he comes home and calls his friends together and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me. See that? Shared joy. Shared joy. He's not only rejoicing himself, he calls his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Now, I'm not sure if you respond that way when your dog gets out. right? You run and find your dog and you go grab your neighbors and say, Let's have a party. I found my dog. But that's what's happening here, right? Look at verse 9. It's the same way when the lost coin is found. The lost son is found too. Look at verse 9. When she finds the coin, she calls her friends together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. I didn't know you had lost a coin, but I'll certainly come to your party because I like a party, right? Verse 22, the father says, quickly bring the best robe, put it on and put a ring on his hand and and sandal it on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. 
Get all the slaves together, he says. We're going to have a party. And the slaves say, you mean we don't have to serve at this party? No, because this is one of the greatest celebrations you could have on earth. My son who is lost has been found. So we're all joining in in this party. I like the last statement, verse 22. Look what it says. And they began to celebrate. Do you know why I like that statement? Because by the time you've read through one story, and then the second story, and then the third story, and you get to that point, the obvious question is, why would anybody not want to join in the celebration? Right? Why would anybody refuse to join in a party? And that's the very question that Jesus wants these grumbling Jewish leaders to face. Look what it says, verse 3. They start grumbling and he told them this parable saying, which man among you? He goes right to the point. Which one of you men wouldn't do this? Which one of you men wouldn't do it? Why would anyone not want to join in this kind of celebration? It just doesn't make sense. That's what the father tells the son at the end. But we had to celebrate. We had to. That's the only logical response to what is going on here. By the way, don't, we shouldn't overlook the importance of the theme of all three of these parables because they're very important to Jesus. If you remember in chapter 19, I think it's verse 10, in 19 verse 10, Jesus summarizes his whole mission and his whole ministry on earth with these words. The Son of Man has come to, do you know what the next word is? To seek and to what? Save that which was, well, this is exactly what Jesus is here to do. And these people are grumbling at it. Grumbling. What would Jesus think about people who grumbled at such a thing? That's why he's challenging these men to stop grumbling and start celebrating, start sharing in the joy. Now, as we look at the parables briefly here, I want you to consider this morning what changes you would need in your life so that you might begin to start daily sharing in this joy that Jesus is talking about. I'm not talking about the changes in other people's lives, the changes in the world. What changes would you need to make in your life so that you might start sharing? We're going to come back to that at the end, but start sharing in this type of joy on a daily basis. Look at the first two parables. They're, they're, the, they're the most simple parables that Jesus ever told. And they set the stage actually for the third parable. So quickly you have two stories which set the stage for the third, the first, verses three through seven, we hear about a shepherd who's counting his sheep out in the open field. So he's sitting there. Sheep are coming in to eat. He's one, two, three, four, five, six, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirty-five, forty-five, fifty-nine, and ninety-eight, ninety-nine. There's one missing. One's gone. And even though this flock is almost, from what I've read, three times larger than the average flock of the day, so. Logically, he could afford to lose one, right? Even though it's that size, still the shepherd searches and searches and searches until he has found what? The one. 
he continues the search. And when he finds it, he is so excited about this one that seemingly is so valueless. Uh, I was going to say invaluable, but that makes it very valuable. Right? So seemingly so least valuable. But he calls his neighbors to share in his joy. In the second story, verses 8 through 10, there's a woman who's counting her money and she discovers that one of her coins is missing. Now, the NASB has translated it silver coins, so you might think of something like a quarter or a, a nickel or a dime because those are the things that are silver or, or a silver dollar. But a literal translation would be drachma, which is a Greek silver coin worth a full day's wages. So actually, this one's pretty valuable to her. This is like losing a whole day's wages. So we can understand why this lady doesn't wait until sunup because it seems to be dark here. Instead, she lights a lamp, sweeps out every nook and cranny in her house until she finds the missing coin. And when she finds it, even though it's right in the middle of the night, she wakes her neighbors and says, come and celebrate with me. These are simple stories. And I think that there's surely something here that all of us can relate to. Have you ever lost something valuable? You know how when you lose something valuable, everything just gets set aside until you find it, right? I carry around, I don't normally carry my wallet in my pocket because I get a backache if I carry it in my pocket. So I have a fanny pack, which my girls have affectionately named my purse, all right? And it's, you know, I, I, I rebelled against that for a while, but you know what? I just call it my purse. Has anyone seen my purse? All right. I call it my purse. All right. And a couple of years ago, I was home alone. My kids were gone. Judy was at a shower or something. There was no car at home. I remember this because all of a sudden I realized my purse was missing. And I can remember how exhaustively I checked every place in the house where I would have laid my purse, right? I even called the man who we rented our, our um, office from and asked him, because he lived right next door, to go and check to see if my purse was there, okay? And he came back and said no. And all of a sudden it hit me, you know what, I'd been at Starbucks, my favorite haunt, <laughs> been there in the afternoon. So he went down... And he found out that my purse was at Starbucks. And I remember the joy when he called me. Just this overwhelming joy that my purse was at Starbucks. Okay, And I remember the smile on the lady's face when she got to share in the joy. Now, I don't know if she was laughing because it was my purse or not. But, you know, she, she, she got to share in this joy of handing me my purse. And every time I went into Starbucks for at least three months, she got this weird little grin on her face because, oh yeah, I remember you. You're the guy who lost his purse. <laughs> Listen, the point of these first two parables is simply that. It's simply that. The recovery of something lost genuinely leads to shared joy. We've got to tell somebody about it. We've got to have somebody enter into that with us. Rejoice with me, he says. But there's a punchline to each one of those parables. I don't know if you noticed it when we read through it. 
And it's the punchline, this punchline, that Jesus wants the grumbling Pharisees to consider. And I think it's just as important for us to consider this punchline. Even though we might not grumble like they did, we ought to consider this punchline. Look at this. The first one is in verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, Jesus is not saying that there is such a thing as a righteous person who needs no repentance. What he's saying, he's acknowledging their attitude towards righteousness. You guys don't think you need repentance. You're grumbling about me coming around the sinners here. There's going to be more joy when they repent than you just staying in your self-righteous state. Right? Look at verse 10. It's punchline again. I tell you in the same way, I tell you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. All the angels break out in song. Heavenly chorus when one sinner repents. And with those two lines, listen to this. Jesus reveals God's heart for lost sinners. Is that your heart for lost sinners? That's God's heart. With those two lines, he's telling us what God thinks and how God responds to these. And not only that, all heaven is sharing in this joy, he says. And so the implication of the first two stories for the Jewish leaders is all heaven is sharing in this. Why not you? You men are the spiritual leaders of Israel. You are the, quote, heavenly men of Israel. Why not you? Well, we find the reason when we listen to the parable of the lost son. You see, this parable has an extended ending to the story. It's not just the man finds what was lost. There's an extended ending of the story of this one. It's often called the parable of the prodigal son, but the point is not really about this prodigal and his departure but rather about the different reactions when he returns home. Did you hear that? This story is not simply about the prodigal who leaves home. It's more about the different reactions of the father and the son when the man finally returns home. I want you to notice a couple things here. The father has the same reaction to the prodigal's return as who? The shepherd when he finds the sheep and the woman when she finds the coin. He calls all of his slaves to join him in a joyful celebration. But notice further that the older son reacts quite differently. When he hears the reason for the party, he re- He grumbles and he refuses to participate. I'm not going there. And this added scene is what makes this parable different. The brother's refusal to become part of the celebration and the joy of this lost son coming home. Now, it's not usually important or recommended to try to assign associations to every point in the parable. If you've ever studied out parables, you'll understand that there's usually one main point to a parable. And, and the illustrations are, are sometimes significant, they're sometimes not. But I feel 
that the associations in this last parable are so clear that I, I think it'd be helpful to point some of them out. For instance, there's a picture of sin's corruption in this story of the prodigal. The story begins when the younger of a man's two sons comes in and demands his, import, his portion of the inheritance. And he sets off to live his own life in his own way. I'm going out, I'm taking all the goods, and I'm going to go out and live my own life. I don't want to listen to my father anymore. I want to be on my own. And according to the Mosaic Law, the inheritance that he deserved would normally have been distributed at a time when the father chose to give it. And so this son's demand reveals just the selfishness of this young man's heart. And no doubt the father was grieving as he gave it to him, but he lets his, father, he lets his son go his own way. Similarly, in a similar way that God lets sinners often go their own path. And he does. Read Romans. Romans tells us that God delivers men over to their own path eventually when they refuse to repent. J.C. Ryle said this is man following the natural selfish bent of his own heart. And he said we all we have in these words a faithful portrait of the mind with which we all are born. So it's all of us. It's all of us. This is our likeness. We are naturally proud and self-willed. We have no pleasure in fellowship with God our Father. We depart from Him and go far off. We spend our time and our strength and our faculties and affections on things which cannot profit. He says the covetous man does it in one fashion, the slave of lust in another manner, and the lover of pleasure in another. But in this one thing we're all agreed. We are selfish and like sheep we naturally go astray stray and go our own way. There's also a clear picture in this last story of sin's deception. This story progresses very quickly by showing how a, a son's dream of a free and easy life quickly becomes a slavish nightmare. He thinks he's going to go out and enjoy life and pretty soon he's enslaved to the very issues of the world. And even though he decides to work hard, he still cannot provide enough for his most basic need. That's a statement of works, by the way. Even though we try to work hard, we still can't provide what we need to please God. I don't know if you noticed it. I think the detail about feeding pigs and eating from their trough is a nice touch. I think Jesus is a master storyteller. He throws in this little bit about the guy going out and feeding pigs. Why would he do that? Because every Pharisee sitting there would have said, I know what the law says. I know what the law says. If he's feeding pigs, he's become defiled and we're justified not spending time. We're justified not hanging around him by God's law. Ever feel that way towards the lost in the world? We're justified not being around them. Right? Not according to this. Brings us to the Father's reaction. Look at verse 17 through 19. We read that when this wayward son finally comes to his senses and realizes that he'd be better off as a slave in his father's household than a son living on the outskirts of town, he repents 
and sets off to confess to his father. In verses 20 through 24, he comes and, and, and the father didn't even wait. Rather, he runs and he embraces him and he restores all the family privileges to him. He says, get him a robe. Get him sandals for his feet. Put a ring on his finger. Clearly illustrative of the joyful response of God for a sinner coming home. And as the celebration gets into full swing, the older brother returns from a hard day's work in the father's field. And when he hears the music, he asks what's going on. And when he finds out, he becomes angry and he refuses to go in. He refuses to take part in his father's joy. That's more, he begins grumbling and complains to his father. That sounds exactly like the Jewish leaders. You should be treating us special, Jesus. After all, we're the ones that have always lived here in Jerusalem around the temple, Jesus. We're the ones that are keeping the law, Jesus. We're the ones who are obediently... In fact, we've even made more laws, Jesus, because we know that that would make us look good. The Father corrects him. He says, look at verse 31. Son, you've always been with me. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. Was lost and has been found. Do you know, in many ways, the conclusion of this story is not just a single reversal. It's a double reversal, isn't it? It's not just about the lost son coming home. He's been off in the distant land and now he comes home. It's not just about that. It's about the son who is always living around the father showing just how lost he was. Just how distant he was in his heart from the father's joy. Like the older son, the Jewish leaders thought they deserved God's blessing. After all, they'd lived near God's house, followed all of God's rules, yet they were just as much on the outside of God's household because they refused to acknowledge their own need to repent. Now, we're not told how the older brother responded, but we do know how the Jewish leaders responded to Jesus. And my question for us to consider is, how do you need to respond to Jesus' stories? How do you need to respond to them? What would you need to do to participate in heaven's joy? For some of you, taking part in this joy that's talked about in these stories would mean giving up the life that you're living beyond the walls of heaven's household and coming home to God. That's how the first son responded. That's one of the responses we need to consider here. Do I need to be like the first son and come home, repent? It it doesn't mean we have to have been living out in a far country or first lived a corrupt life or sinned with a vengeance as it used to be said when I was a kid. You don't have to do all that in order to experience the joy of coming home to God. The second brother needed this repentance, didn't he? He needed this repentance too. And he had always lived in the Father's house. He had always followed the Father's rules. And yet he was distant from the Father's joy. Perhaps that's you. Perhaps that's you. Perhaps you've come to church all your life. 
Perhaps you've read your Bible every day. Perhaps you can stand up in church and people look at you and they say, there is a model of somebody who follows God's Word. You've tried your hardest to keep God's commands. But maybe you've never really experienced the joy of heaven by simply repenting of your sins and turning to God and trusting in Christ's sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. If that's you, please don't grumble like the Pharisees. Please don't do that. Listen to your need to repent like a wayward son and, and, and take part of this joy today by trusting in Christ's forgiveness. For some of us here, taking part in heaven's joy today might simply mean remembering the joys of coming home in the first place. You know, you may have experienced this great joy when you first came to Christ, but now as the days have weathered on, that great joy, is that memory has just faded in your life and that fresh experience is just a stale memory. This could be because of a sin that you've not confessed before God. Remember when David, the man of God, we, we always remember him as the man of God. So we know he was a godly man. But do you remember when he failed to confess his sin with Bathsheba, tried to hide it from everybody? Do you remember that the joy of his salvation withered? Maybe you don't know that. In Psalm 32, David said this, When I kept silent about my sin... My body wasted away like the fever heat of summer with groanings all day long. For he says, day and night, God's hand was heavy upon me. He said, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. Such simplicity. Confess your sins to the Lord. And listen to what happens. He said, you forgave the guilt of my sin. Many of the sorrows are the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness will surround him. And then he calls all Israel to do this. And he says, be glad in the Lord and what? Rejoice. So he opens the psalm saying, I hid from my sin. I didn't want to confess it. And I was withering away. But at the end of the psalm, when he confesses it, he, it's joy. It's joy. Perhaps that's where you are today. Maybe your lack of joy comes from a lack of spiritual discipline. You don't come to the banquet hall of God's Word every day. You're not spending time in prayer. Your soul is now starving and withered. You know, I was thinking through this. Some of our joy is lacking. Do you know why? Because we simply do not thank God enough for bringing us home in the first place. Something in the past. Do you know that the joy of salvation can be made fresh each day if we would simply unwrap, kind of come to God's Word and unwrap this thought of forgiveness in our thoughts and come to Him with thankfulness in our prayers? Do you know that thankfulness is so important to experiencing the joy of the Christian life? Do you realize that? A thankful heart. Paul said to the Ephesian 
believers. It's important to our spirit-filled walk. He said, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Isn't that, wouldn't you just love a, a church, right? Where everybody is always speaking to one another in such a joyful way. You know, praise God for this, praise God for that. Wouldn't you just love that? We all want that, right? You know what happens? He says, singing and making melody in your heart with the, to the Lord, always giving what? Thanks for all things. Always giving thanks for all things. You see, in the Spirit-filled walk, each step of thankfulness adds a note of joy to our spiritual worship, right? To that spiritual tune. So maybe it's just that. Maybe it's just coming to God each day thanking Him for what He has given you. There's a third challenge, I think, here in this passage. I think it's really even more directly to the point, probably. Taking part in heaven's joy might mean that you need to witness more to the lost. Do you hear that? Just simply seeking the lost who need to be found. Can I ask you how vibrant your witness is to the world? How vibrant is it? How do you view the sinful world around you now that you have been welcomed back into God's household? How do you view the sinful world out there? Do you have an increasing desire to seek out lost men and women and children so that you might tell them about Jesus? Do you realize that there is a direct correlation between the joy we'll experience today in the Christian life and the heart we have for seeking the lost in this world? There's a direct correlation here according to this passage. Now, seeking to win a lost world might seem daunting to you, but it doesn't have to be. You can just begin with one person. Just begin with one. One person you know that doesn't know Jesus. You can begin to pray for them. You can commit to have them over. You can commit to open your mouth and tell them about Jesus. And even this, call them home to Christ. Call them home. Parents, it might be that your children need to be called home. Not home for dinner, but home to Christ. You see, the danger is, as Christian parents, we can let our children grow up to be little Pharisees, right? They come to church with us every week. We make them read their Bible during the week. They can look so good, and we've never called them home to Christ. Then they assume they, receive, they should receive God's favor because they've lived in our house and come to church with us. Perhaps that's where we need to start. It's just with our kids. Let me leave you with a real positive note here, okay? Do you realize that this passage tells us that we don't have to wait until we get to heaven to experience heaven's joy? We can enjoy it today if we would simply be diligent to seek those who need Christ, tell them about Him, and call them home. Because it says here, there is more joy in the presence of angels of God. There's joy in heaven when what? One sinner repents. 
Well, may God's Word instruct our hearts and challenge our lives as we live before Him this week. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for just this challenge that's here before the, the Pharisees. And Lord, I pray that it would be the same challenge to us. Lord, we want the joy of the Christian life. Perhaps we just need to take heart to Jesus' words. Lord, if there's somebody here that has never turned to You, Lord, I pray that they wouldn't grumble at their need. They wouldn't grumble at hearing that they need to repent, but they would turn to You. Lord, I pray that they would come to Gordy or Steve or, or someone and say, I need Christ. Lord, I pray that if, if there's some of us who are undisciplined and not knowing the joy of the Christian life, that You'd speak to our hearts. Lord, if it's just that we need to share our faith more and just share in that great joy of seeing the lost found, Lord, I pray that You would stir our hearts. And Lord, I pray that You would give us the fruit of seeing people come to You that we might rejoice and call others to share in that joy with us. I pray this in Your Son's name. Amen.